Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 11. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay there in their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and the father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel for the Son of Man come. The student is not above the teacher nor the servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his house? So do not be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftop. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them fall to the ground outside your father's care. Even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I do not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the member of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. God, for your word, we are thankful this morning for the words of Jesus as he sends his 12 out. We're thankful for the soberness, the truth, and the hope that can be found in these words. May we hear them today. May we absorb them. May we always follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think you'd ever accuse Jesus of being... uh, a sunshine and roses leader, could you? I'm going to tell it like it is. 
You read through that text right there, and as you kind of hear it, if you just listen to what Jesus was saying about the bad things that are going to happen, you could almost feel pretty helpless and pretty hopeless. I can remember sitting on my couch on the evening of 9-11 in 2001, and for whatever reason, and I know it was just kind of the, the loop of what was going on, what reason they continually showed the, the planes flying in the World Trade Just It was like it was a loop that couldn't get away from As we were sitting there, and then also was fixing dinner, and we were about to go to a prayer meeting at church, and we were all in just this sense of, I don't know what to say, but helpless. Like, I didn't know what to do, where to turn, how to act. I remember in my 14 years of full-time located ministry, I remember it seemed like I was standing in one place, and I would watch people flow in and out of my life, people that I considered really good friends and really close people that would I would say something or something would happen within the church we were at, and they would just all sudden up and they would disappear, and I wouldn't know what to do in those moments. Definitely self of helplessness, hopelessness. I remember leaving business meetings or indoor elder meetings and not knowing which way to turn or what to say or how to act. I, I can remember countless times that I stood by gravesides with people that I loved, either praying over them or, or preaching their, their funerals or whatever it was, just being there with family and not knowing what the future held without them. I remember uh, graduating from college twice and not being able to find a job in my field. And just the utter frustration and helplessness and hopelessness that kind of engulfed at that time. And I remember sitting at a friend's house on New Year's Eve of 2014, my last day of gainful employment as a minister, and we were actually sitting around and we were, and it, it sounds strange, but we were happy to be done with what we'd been through. But there was also a sense of, well, what now? And I think collectively we can all remember March of 2020 when we were staring down the face of a pandemic. I can remember coming here in here uh, and Jeff coming up to me before Sunday service, the week before everything just totally goes down. He said, we're going to take a few weeks off just to be safe, just to follow the guidance and all those things. And, and I can remember that it was a, a year, was it more than a year before we actually gathered in the same location? And the sense of hopelessness and helplessness that, that live within the pandemic and the shutdowns and the quarantines and the fear and the anger and all. And if, if I thought if I heard the word new normal one more time, I was going to explode. Right? But we were living in this sense of which, and, and we were, I don't know about you, but I was overwhelmed with just a sense of hopelessness and helplessness at times. And I want to encourage you as I make my, that's just a list of things from my life that, that I went through that left me feeling empty or worn down. We all have events. We all have things that are happening. You have things that, that are happening now that shock you, that hurt you, that traumatize you. you have, we all have things that empty our souls, that empty our hearts. Things that, that we are resilient because we rise back up after they happen. But what happens is that that tank, if you want to look at it like that, our soul, our heart, every time we have to rise back up and we be resilient to rise back to the forefront, we, we subtract out of that reserve that we have. And every event, if we're not careful, which we're going to talk about this morning, every event will completely subtract it down. And if we don't figure out how to pour back in, we're going to be in trouble. Because everything that caused us to have to dig deep and push forward was 
the strength and resilience empties us. And I don't know if you've lived long enough to know this, but life is about chaos. Life is about it, life is a battle that is about not getting pulled into chaos because chaos is a reality of this world. The idea of creation from Genesis is not that God created something out of nothing, but that God brought order to chaos. That the earth was void and formless, and God spoke into it and brought order to the chaos. The very gift of God into this life, into our lives, not to this world, if you look back to the passage we just read, but into our lives is peace in the midst of chaos. And we don't have to go very far, right, to find chaos. It sits at our door waiting for us to open. Often daily, chaos will just come, not knocking, but barging through our doors, seeking to absolutely knock everything that we've got and everything that we do off field. As we look into Matthew 10 here in this passage, Jesus is sending out his 12, right? Sending out his inner circle, and he's preparing them for the road ahead because they're about to go into some really, really difficult things. The chaos that they're about to see and endure is going to be real. And the key that he speaks into their existence is also spoken to us and for us to hear and understand. So if we go back to Matthew 10 there, whatever town of village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their home until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is there, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. Church, that's a beautiful image. That is an amazing idea that Jesus gives us there, letting our peace return to us. You see, because we live in the midst of chaos, we live in the midst of a life that is all about upheaval. In the midst of that, there's something about as we're being drained and as our life is being pulled from us, that Jesus saying, look, You've got to have some say in this. You've got to have some control. You can't let things just happen to you. If something happens and it robs you of peace, take it back. Pull it back. Understand that you need to replenish what you have going on in your life. There's this real sense in which our our peace that we give should be reclaimed in certain instances. There are certain instances where we go into situations, we go into places and things and times, and we get in the midst of it, we realize we shouldn't be there. The first thing we should do is get out. Because the longer we're there, the more peace we're going to give it, and the less we're going to have in our hearts and our hearts. And so it should be reclaimed. It should be taken back. And I love the sense from Jesus is that it's not done. Like what is taken from you, what you give to somebody else, isn't the last word. It's not the final thing. But being resilient in the face of a lot of chaos is tricky. Because when we start to feel empty, we start to look around for other places to refill our lives. We start looking for life in places we shouldn't look for life. And being the people that we are, being humanity, we get upset when we can't find it where we want to find it. We want to find it in sports. We want to find it at work. We want to find it in all different places where those places are actually places that are robbing us of our peace. And sometimes, for whatever reason, we tend to ignore stuff when our life gets really bad. 
I'm, maybe I'm dating myself here, but how many of y'all grew up on Seinfeld? Like, I grew up watching Seinfeld, right? Uh, I could almost, there was a time that me and my group of friends I was with, we could almost carry on a conversation with Seinfeld folks, right? Just back and forth, because that was what, what we did. There was this episode, and you may know this episode, there was this episode where there was this guy, anytime something stressful would happen to him, it's not Kramer, but Kramer got linked up with him. Every time there was something that would happen, he would say, Serenity now, Serenity. And he would take all the frustration and all the bad stuff going on his life, and he would pack it down. And this is a scene in the show where, where Jerry was like, there's things happening. Jerry looked at Kramer and was like, are you okay? And he's like, I just, the anger just flows off of me. And there's not long much further in the show where he absolutely explodes because he buries the chaos. He ignores the chaos. You see, we want to be like this, and we're like, everything's okay, everything's okay when the world's about to be destroyed by a meteor or whatever it is, right? And we ignore what's going on in our life. We ignore what's happening in our life because we don't want to deal with it. The greatest, the single greatest disservice that we can do to our soul is to think that we can grin and bear it and ignore bad stuff that's happening in and around our life. That is the worst thing we can do for our soul. I picked up this book this week and started reading it, and it, it was a God thing because it spoke right into where we're at in this passage. It's a book called Resilient by John Elbert. Talk about a powerful book. He says the worst thing that you can do is ignore the health of your soul. The worst thing you can do in your walk with God is ignore whenever your soul is getting low and whenever things are really, really getting bad. He says, and he wrote this post-pandemic, right after everything was kind of coming back to the new normal. And he states, and, he, and he's very emphatic about this still. I listened to him on a podcast today. He said, we have yet to pay the toll, the emotional and psychological toll of the pandemic. He said, the entire world was traumatized by what we went through. As a people, as a collective, we were traumatized because our humanity was, was torn apart and we were, we were put in these little silos and, and it, the, the toll has not been paid. And you don't have to look very far in our country, not even into the world, but in our country. And look at the way that our world, our country is fracturing and, and the anger and all the things going on. These are signs that we're not helping. I'm not even talking about as a country. I'm talking about as people, as followers of God. These are signs that we are not helping. And we are seeing the cascading effects, as language you use, of our society and world that fractures in unimaginable ways. And he says the worst thing that we can do, the worst thing we can do is ignore the warning sign. A couple of quotes that I really like when he says, take the strength of your soul seriously. Don't ignore when things aren't well. Take the strength of your soul seriously. Plan for your... Like, I'm amazed how many of us have plans for our life and plans where we want to go and things we want to do in life, but we will ignore simple things like the health of our walk with God. And he asked a question which ought to be pounding in our own brains and our own minds. Is your soul demanding care right now? And only you can answer. I can, the people around you can probably look at you and say, yes, your soul needs care right now, but you're not listening to them. Only you can enact that care. Only you can sit back and say, yeah, I think so. Because there's all sorts of warning signs, right? There's all sorts of red flags. I don't drive around. Well, sometimes I do, but I'm trying to drive around with a uh, 
with my check engine light on unless I know what it's there for. The red flags everywhere. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, right? If you know that show. Here's an easy one. Do you have no energy or patience for annoying people or situations anymore? I've heard people say, well, you know, now that I'm older, I just don't have patience. I think that's backwards. I would think the opposite should be true, that the longer we live, the more life we walk, the longer that we walk with God, the longer that we walk in the Spirit, the more grace we ought to have for people that don't agree with us, and don't look like us, and don't sound like us, and don't think and act like us. Amen. You wouldn't sit in your house and watch water pouring through your ceiling and be like, oh, I guess that'll be okay someday. You drive down the road with your engine sound like somebody's sitting out there beating on it with a hammer. Well, some of you might. But hopefully you don't drive around and sound like somebody's beating on your engine with a hammer. And I don't know if those, those things are tangible. And we can put our hands on them and see them readily. Denial about the health of your soul will heal nothing. Denying the fact that you need something, that your heart is crying out for something, will not help anybody or anything. It will not help you. And it will cause, and here's what will happen. If your soul needs, needs care, your drive, and elders calls it the final drive for life. He says your drive for life will seek life somewhere. It will seek to find life somewhere. And if we don't understand and realize that that life is only to be found in God, I will end up in a ditch. Well, the other end of the spectrum is, not the other end, but further down the road, is our soul reaches the point where it gives up. I know that's hard to hear. And it's hard. I listened to the first chapter of this book probably five times this week, just trying to process everything you're saying. And he kept, I kept hearing this. Your soul, if you do not care and tend for your soul, if you're not, are you not, if you're not intentional about your walk with God, your soul will reach the point where it can't take it anymore and it'll give up. Jesus knew what was ahead for his disciples. He knew what was ahead for the church that was about to be established, the life that was about to come out, the way life was going to be. He said, you're going to deal with people who aren't going to welcome you. You're going out like sheep in the midst of wolves. Your families are going to be torn apart. You'll have to flee persecution. He says, don't be afraid. Prepare yourself. And the image of the sparrow is very important. Because when our soul gets so low, we can pretty easily convince ourselves that we're not worth it. You're valuable. Everybody in this room is valuable. Regardless of where you are in your walk with God, regardless of how empty you are, or maybe how full you are, if you're full today, praise God. Regardless of where you're at on that spectrum, you are valuable. 
You're valuable in spite of how you feel. You're valuable in spite of your circumstances. There's going to be a lot of people against them, just like there's a lot of people against us. The value is in the peace that God offers us. The refilling that God offers, the health of our soul that God, and I can't overstate how important it is because there is one who is cheering our failure. We don't like to talk about the devil much, do we? Mainly because I don't think we understand him. I think we've got Dante's Inferno of, of the idea of the devil in our minds, and we think he's got a pitchfork and he's standing there. And he's just looking to knock us down. But you see what the devil does is the devil gives us opportunity. That's the devil. The devil is real. His desire is that our souls burn out and that we walk away from God and we don't ever walk the path again. We don't ever try to bring anybody else. His desire is that our life in and with God will fail and come apart. And all that we see, all the chaos that is going on around us is designed to give us the opportunity to fail. God gives us everything we need for an abundant, fulfilling life. And the devil gives us everything we need to get away from. And denial about where you are on that spectrum, denial about where you are in your walk with God is not helping you The devil wants you crippled. God wants you fulfilled. The devil wants you empty. God wants you full. So what do we do with that knowledge? We've got to be serious about it. If we're somewhere where we need recovery, where our soul needs to get better, you need to plan to get better. You need a desire to refill your tank. You need a desire to be better. Because we're all exhausted. It doesn't matter if you're two years old or if you're 90 years old. We're all exhausted. We're all unempty. All of our souls need tending. And so where do we begin? I don't want to just say all you need, you need, you need without anything that gets going. Let's, where do we begin, right? Then the angel showed me the rift, the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God. And of the land down the middle of the great street of the sea, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. Since the dawning of time, God has been the source of life. To the end of our age, God is the source of our life. He is the renewal of our life. He is, he, is, he is the source of all the good things. And there is no other place to start but at the source. But again, circumstances that the devil are putting in front, the devil's putting in front of us, give us the opportunity to help us walk away from, turn away from, and get away from what God is trying to do in us, through us, around us, and all in our lives. The image of God being the source of life is told over and over and over. And to assume that you or I can find it anywhere else is 
privilege. And that is not an oversimplification. It is truly not an oversimplification to say that we have to get back to God. Full stop. I can see that we can move on now. Listen. If we're going to get better, if we're going to be better, if we're going to be who God has created us to be, we have to first acknowledge that we're not, and then we have to say, okay, where do I find it? Uh, it's the feet of God. Psalm 13 is a beautiful song. And the writer says this in verse 3. He says, as he's calling out to God in the midst of frustration in his life, he says, restore the sparkle in my eye. One of the things that having a family and being around, I've been around my wife for 23 years, 24 years. Isaac's been with us now for 11 years, from 12 years next month. Isaac was born in 2011. I was born in 2014. One of the things that being around some people for that long, I can look at them and know what they don't feel good. I can look at them and know when they're tired. I can look at them and know when they're angry, when they're hungry, when they're upset, when they're sick. I can look and see because it shows up in the eye. Like you can't tell a story because people can look you in the eyes and they can know. You can know that their eyes lack sparkle. He nails it here when the writer in the midst of all that's going on in his life turns to God and says, God, I just don't know anymore, but I know I need you. I know I need you to return the spark. And it's important to note in Psalm 13 that this, the writer here hasn't departed from the bad stuff going on. He's not on the backside looking back and going, yeah, I needed God and God restored my spark. But he's in the midst of it. He's going, I need, I need the spark back. I need it back. As you get here at the end, he says, but I trust. I trust in your unfailing love. See, part of the, the getting out of the muck and the mire, part of getting out of the bad stuff having a life is loving God in the midst of it and longing for God in the midst of it so that God can refill us and we can get out of it. And so the starting point is a simple request. A simple thing of turning back to God, attempting to turn back to Jesus and asking God to fill us again, asking Jesus to replenish the soul, asking God to replenish our hearts. And for some reason, in churches, we've tried to make that pretty difficult, right? We've tried to make that about a walk down an aisle and guilt-laden tears and, and confessions and all those things. You need to start where you're at, and you need to turn back to God. Where you're at, don't wait for an opportune moment. The opportune moment is when? The opportune moment is now. Jesus is standing, arms wide open, big smile on his face waiting for us to realize how down, far down we fall and waiting for us to realize how bad things are in our hearts and say, God, I need you. And so let's have a conversation. 
Let's have a conversation. Let's start the communication going again with God. Because that's easily the first thing we turn off, isn't it? That regular talk with God. When the soul gets low, that almost seems like it doesn't really matter. At the end of chapter 1, uh, Eldridge has this prayer that I'm going to read over us in a minute. Um, feel free to do what you need to do during this moment. If you want to stand, if you want to sit, if you want to kneel, if you want to eyes open, read along, because it's going to be on the screen, do that. If you want to close your eyes and just absorb what's happening in the moment, I encourage you to be present now and let God begin to reveal your soul. Because whether it's empty, half full, three quarter full, we all need a measure of refilling. And there's only one place we're going to get there. I'm going to read this prayer as a way for us to start the conversation with God again. Jesus, I come back to you now in my longing for life to be good again. I love you here, Lord, in my soul's longing, desires, and heartache. I consecrate to you my primal drive for life. I surrender to you my ability to aspire for good things, plan for them, take hold of them, enjoy them, keep on aspiring. I consecrate all living in me to you, Lord Jesus. I give you my famished craving for life to be good again. I love you here. I love you right here. And now that I ask, and now I ask that the river of your life will flow in me in my primal drive for life and in my longing for life to be good again. I open my heart and my soul to the river of life. Let it flow in me. Let it flow through me. Let it flow all around me. Let it restore me. Let it renew me. Let it heal me. You alone are the life I see. I welcome your river into my heart and soul. I receive the river of your life in me. Thank you, God. In your body name I pray. Amen. We've got to start something. Don't put it off, right? The longer we stay on it, the longer we stay depleted, the harder it's going to be to get back to where God wants us. God needs us. The harder it's going to be to get back to where God wants wants us to. As we go to the table this morning, uh, Campbell's going to play a song for us. But I, it's Psalm 13. It's written by a guy that I went to school with, Nate Hale. Beautiful song, and it it's, comes out of his a struggle he had in his life and things going on in his life at the time. And just telling a story of struggle, but then loving God in the longing, loving God in the in-between, loving God as he wants to love us. Oh.